0: All right, well, as Aaron mentioned, uh, I'm I'm preaching this morning, something that's tapping into what we're doing this summer, and and, and we are taking on the giant of pace, and pace has to do with the volume of people and places and activities and things and mental activities that, that are just a part of the daily lives that you and I are living. And... I think for years now, pace has been a problem. Here's a great concern I have. and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a nerdy engineer by background. My tendency is to find the, the nuts and bolts of life and to point them out to you as we walk through life together. Um, all of us hit trouble spots in life. All of us go through moments where life just doesn't feel right, doesn't feel rewarding. It doesn't feel enjoyable. It doesn't feel healthy. And you've got segments of your life that you just do life in, right? You've got your home. You've got your marriage. You've got your relationship with your kids. You've got work. These are major categories. You've got your church. Well, there's this one thing that is in all of those settings that's common. It's me. (laughs) I'm in all those settings. And, you know, what, what if I, for reasons I've not exactly figured out, what if, what if there's things going on in me that are causing me to feel constantly irritated, frustrated, angry, exhausted? And I'm just taking that with me from setting to setting. Now, if I haven't discerned that there's something going on in me, what I'm gonna end up doing is I'm gonna travel into my marriage and I'm gonna go, my marriage is frustrating, irritating, exhausting. And then I'm gonna turn around and have moments where, with my kids and their activities and their calendar and oh my gosh, one more thing. I can't do one more thing with them. And then I've got a lot of guilt because I'm not, I'm not around them enough. I'm not influential in their world enough. So, so now I've got frustration and guilt. And that's probably got to be coming from work, right? So I go to work and sure enough, my boss is difficult and he can be a jerk and I'm interacting with that. And that all the more makes me feel more frustrated, more irritated. And then, oh my gosh, the church wants us to do something on Thursday nights. Give me a break already. I'm exhausted. Now I got to feel guilty because I didn't come to your meeting on Thursday night, right? So the next thing you know, we think everything around us has got a problem in it that's making us feel the way we feel. And maybe we haven't diagnosed that there is a, a pace to doing life that a number of years ago just stepped up the pace quite a bit. And you and I have more people than ever. We've got things on our calendars more than ever. <clears throat> We've got more mental engagement, more emotional processing going on every day of our lives. And it may not be that all these settings are as big a problem. They're all problems. I mean, I get that. But they're not maybe as big of a problem as we think they are. Maybe the thing that's traveling with me is my life is too big. And it's too hard to manage. It's wearing me out. So. Let me just back us into this message. Let's let's just read some scriptures here together because uh, we started this saying that that pace is a problem. Uh, Thursday night we we ventured into how what I just said pace is a systemic problem. It it ventures into every category of our lives. This morning I want to talk about pace is a self-understanding problem. Part of the reason why the pace of my life looks the way it does is because I, I, I don't understand myself from a theological standpoint. Here, walk with me through some passages here just for a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. The Apostle Paul speaks first century to these gathering of believers in Rome. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober Judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Right? I don't know about you, I'm not going to chase this just for a second, I just want to highlight it. I don't know, when it comes to thinking about yourself, who are you taking your cues from? This is how the Bible jumps into that subject. But quite honestly, you and I don't spend nearly as much time with the Bible as we spend with people that we know, with social media, with published information. When all that information tells you to think about yourself, does it sound like this? Does it sound like, hey, hey, when you go to think about yourself, don't think too highly of yourself. Is that what you're hearing out there? And this is what the Bible sounds like. This is why the Bible can sound really weird to us, but this is how the Bible sounds. And I need some instruction because quite honestly, I don't need anybody to tell me to think about myself. I do that by default. I'm quite often thinking about myself, but this is the Bible telling me how to think about myself. And so Paul jumps into this conversation. He says, hey, I've, I've received something and I'm going to talk to you out of that. Oh, and by the way, you have received something as well. God has assigned something to you. 1 Corinthians 7 picks the same thought up, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Received from where? From God, right? Each of you are using something God gave you to serve others as faithful stewards. Everybody know the difference between a steward and an owner, right? We don't own the things in our lives. Aaron talked a little bit about that last week in his message. We're exiles here. We don't own things. There is an owner, and, and we are stewards of these things. The grace of God in its various forms. And where does all this come from? Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Thank you, Peter. The the co-author of Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in verse 31, and God, God, God looked out. God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. Let's pray together. Father, we are living life, and we are asking questions really all the time. And Lord, sometimes life puts us in positions where we're desperate for answers because it's not making sense to us. Lord, we're trying to find a pathway to put our feet on. We're trying to do what's next, and we're desperate to figure that out. And Lord, maybe we have created a pace and a volume of activity for us that's been birthed out of desperation, misinformation, misunderstanding. So Lord, today, would you help us? Lord, would you give us us a starting place to figure out how do we navigate this thing called life? And what kind of pace do we set for ourselves? Help us, Lord, to better understand who you've made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so at some point in your life, you're going to ask the question, what is going on? Right? Events happen, experiences happen, life unfolds, and you ask this question. I won't put an expletive in it. What the is going on? <laughs> now, when you and I ask that question, what we initially mean is, is right around me, there's a little world that exists, and that's what I'm asking about. What's going on right here? But you, you realize quickly, you, you can't just ask about what's going on right here, because here is attached to other things. You don't live in isolation. You're, you're not a creature or a being, or you're not in a geography that doesn't have its tentacles in something else. So when you and I say, what is going on here? We have to include here in what's going on. right? We have to include what's out there in a a bigger space. What's going on here is determining and influencing what's going on right here. So when you and I become conscious of our own lives, let's let's imagine that we could create this scenario. That for the first time in your existence, you, you have no memory, you have no definitions, nothing in life has been defined for you in any way and five minutes from now, you're going to gain consciousness for the first time that you can ever remember or recall anything. And you're going to try and figure out, what, where am I? What, what, what's going on? What am I? Who am I? Right. If this, if this could happen, right? None of us come into our world this way, right? We, we come in and we pick up little pieces of information. So by the time we're 20 years old, we've, we've accumulated ideas and we don't know where they came from. They're just in us and they explain stuff to us. And then we're 40 years old and we've accumulated some more and we're defining some things. But if you had that kind of a moment where you tried to figure out your existence, you'd stare out and you'd notice creation. And then the next thing you would notice would be a creator. Creation would would give you some lessons, but the creator would tell you why you exist because creation has a reason to it. Creation doesn't just exist in and of itself. Creation is answering to someone who made it. So when we look at creation, I put this in your in your outline, creation Is filled with divine assignment. Can I use that word? Because the Bible used it twice in those words, in those verses. God has assigned things to us. God has assigned us a life. So from Genesis all the way to the first century in Romans, we are called to be mindful of God's assignment when we think about ourselves. And it's not unusual for fallen human beings to be unhappy or arguing with what's been assigned to them. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, you're just doing life, right? Now, remember, we're doing life in a fallen world, so that breeds a sense of this is not a happy place all the time. But there's just something about existing in creation and the fact that I got assigned some things. And the Bible makes it sound like, hey, yeah, yeah, that's that's the way things work. You and I live in a day that has been teaching us for multiple generations. Don't put that on me. And that sounds like a familiar phrase. It almost sounds like it's normal. But I don't want God. I don't want anybody putting stuff on me. I want to self-define. I want to stare at a creation and come up with my own definitions, my own way. Well, God's not unfamiliar with that, right? Romans chapter 9 says something rather interesting about this moment where we sort of protest and argue with the creator. It says, You will say to me then, verse 19, Why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? Or can I say it this way? Who can resist his assignment? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what, will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? All right, so there's a moment in which humanity in that verse is pushing back on God and saying, What are you doing? And why is humanity doing it? Because at some moment, my world starts to feel like some the way. I don't like the way this feels. So my question of what is going on here gets translated in Romans 9 to sound like, why did you make me this way? It's it's a pushback on the creator. All right, so in all humility, is there anybody in the room here who hasn't pushed back on the creator about your life? Is there anybody here? I mean, I have. I have pushed back many, many times. I probably, this last week, pushed back on God. And, and I'm asking Romans 9, Why? Why did you make me this way? Why did you make the world? Why did you make the people? Why did you put me in this assignment? Why do I have this timing with this moment, with these activities, with these people, with these physical elements, with these emotional elements? Why? Am I ready for the Bible to answer me this way? Am I ready for the eternal God to answer me this way? Who are you? Oh man. To answer back to the Creator, why did you create the way you created? This is a staggering moment. Please, please don't rush past this because you live in a world. That doesn't acknowledge the creator, much less his right to do what he thinks is best. Now the good thing is, when we read the rest of the Bible, God is not a, he's not a computer, he's not a machine, he's, he's not profit and loss. He's, he's not thinking this through to answer to some science equation. He is an affectionate father. Who creates and operates in his creation out of the, the being that he is. He is he is infinite love and mercy and rightness and perfection. He is all these things. So when when you and I take issue with him, yeah, you, you understand we, we kinda we don't have the goods to come consulting God. When we come with this, why did you, it's, it's almost like this arrogant posture of, I've done the analysis, I've gathered the data, I've done my homework, we need to have a talk. And, you know, I think God sits and says, Keith, you wouldn't even know where to begin to find the data. And you've drawn all the conclusions. Do you have any idea how much you don't know? How small you really are. Do you understand you're a creature? And now you're trying to consult with the creator. So it's a humbling activity that God does. I'll show you where this is going in just a minute. Go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image stop so you're here this morning maybe you're watching and you're trying to figure out what are you going to do with your life who are you going to be what are you going to get good at what are you going to do in your life that's going to bring joy and excitement and meaning into your existence and so, you know, how far back do you reach, right? Do you, do you reach back to when you were like seven years old and your aunt and uncle told you that nobody's a better this than you are? You're amazing. Oh, look at you. You can do this. And that stuck with you. And a few years later, you were even better at that. And other people paid attention to you. So you reach back to your seven-year-old, 10-year-old, 14-year-old experience. And what do I want to be? And and that thing speaks to you. And I'd say for, for some reason, that's, you know, that's not wrong in and of itself, But before any of that happens, which can be all part of God's plan, by the way, but before any of that happened, God created man in his own image. So when you and I were created, the agenda of God was we were to look like him. We were to bear The character, nature, and imprint of God. We are the image of God in his creation. And for whatever reason God did that, we'll get to heaven we'll figure that out with him. There is this creation and into the creation God places his image. Now, a lot of things speak about God and a lot of things reveal God. but But man is uniquely made in the image of God. We are to image him into his creation. So one of the things that Aaron spoke about last week was holiness is about that. You shall be holy because I am holy and you are being conformed into the image of who I am. So that's already spoken for. Do you understand your destiny in life is already spoken for? God is already determined. He has already, can we get comfortable with this word, assigned something to us. That's not up for grabs. Humanity doesn't show up on the planet with an empty page that he self-determines why do I exist and what do I get to be? I exist to image God and to show forth his life through my own life. And then he breaks that down further. He created him male and female. He created them. Our world today, and I'm going to try and do this carefully because I know this is a sensitive subject, and I want to be sensitive for the right reasons, by the way, and I hope the body of Christ will learn to be sensitive for the right reasons. When you and I interact with somebody else's struggles in a fallen world, if you guys can raise your hand with me real quick, this is audience participation moment. How many of you guys struggle in any way as a human being? want to make sure we're all breathing. All right, so you struggle in certain ways to be human. Other people struggle in other ways. So there is a, a heightened struggle today. And I, I think that's accurate. It is a heightened struggle today. It is a heightened struggle because the world is off course in this category like it's never been before. So there's a heightened struggle with dealing with our own sexuality and gender today. And so there is this sense that... More than ever, people are asking, especially young people are asking, Hey, God, why did you make me this way? Male or female? And for whatever reason that it makes sense in that moment for that person to ask God the question, it could be coming out of the confusion of, I don't feel male. I feel more female, why did you make me this way? Or or vice versa. For whatever reason, that's not a settled issue for everyone. Which by the way, there's lots of categories in every one of our lives that don't feel settled for us. And we push back on God and we question and we resist. Just find your own category before you pick up somebody else's and go, what the heck is wrong with you? Well, what the heck's wrong with you? We could all do that to each other all day long. But here's the deal. There's a new vocabulary, but it's not new to the Bible. Gender reassignment. Have you heard that? It's interesting that it is a reassignment without having read the Bible. How did you become male or female? God assigned a life to you. And he assigned that you would be male or you would be female. And and by the way, when God stepped back from his creation and gazed out at it, he said everything he did was good. Is it good that you are male? Yes. Is it good that you are female? Yes. Does it feel good to everyone? Apparently not so. But there's a, isn't, there, isn't it true in your own life, whether you're outside the gender struggle, you're in another category, have you noticed there's a lot of things that God calls good that you're like, okay, God, but it doesn't feel good. You lived in that space? You know the Bible calls suffering good all over the place? How many of y'all amen that when it comes and shows up at your door? This is good. God, this is going to be so great this week. Hey, honey, guess what came from Amazon? <laughs> a big box of suffering. I can't wait to open it. You know, it's like, no, we're not calling that one good. Then God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God immediately assigns something. And in this particular context, it, it is a marriage family assignment. Uh, there is... Nations in the future, there's filling the earth, all kinds of. but this is, in its simplicity, be fruitful and multiply. Hey, you, Adam and Eve, you guys get together and be family and multiply. have little ones who have little ones who multiply and fill the earth. So in that moment, God established something good. It was a marriage between a man and a woman. And that got assigned. When this happened. And then he assigned something else. I want you guys to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So I know most of us have an image of Eden, looks like it's just, you know, like something out of the Caribbean and it's just a vacation all the time. And all Adam and Eve did was sip lemonade and kick their feet up. But there's an assignment here that sounds like there's something out there in God's creation to be subdued, there's work to be done there's conquering and there's bringing God's government into a setting that's supposed to be taking place here well at any moment that can feel like God why why did you make me like this what if what if I don't want to do these things what if I don't want to subdue the earth and have dominion over everything because that sounds like that's hard Oh, which by the way, you know, Lord, after Cain killed Abel, I think we're kind of not in on that multiply thing anymore. Uh, We've had enough trouble. We've had our hearts broken. We've had one son kill another one. So you still want us to fill the earth with more of these? I don't think we want to have children anymore. Do you understand? You and I always have reasons why God's ideas are not good ideas. But they're still God's ideas. And God comes along. And by the way, he's the only person who could do this. He's the only inspector who could show up in creation and tell you whether it's got a problem. And he surveyed his creation and he said, it is good. Now, I have heard some things lately, but this is not a lately problem. But I have heard some things lately of people trying to explain aspects of life that just sound, I'm sorry, Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I can say that just as a limited human being, just on the scale of humanity with no superior thought. That's ridiculous. But here's the truth. Neither you nor me or the smartest person in the universe is qualified to stare out at God's creation and label it good or bad. Only the creator would know whether what he made was good or bad because it answers to him. It answers to what he had in mind. It answers to his infinite thinking. It answers to purposes that may not show up in just that one space. So when God stares out at what he made and he said, it's good, then you and I have to conclude and agree with him. It is good. All right. So what's this got to do with pace? Well, God also assigned limitations to these creatures that he made. He assigned to us boundaries and borders and limits that you and I have to live within those designs. These words that we just read, I'm going to go back and read them again real quickly. They are divine design limitations. Right When the Apostle Paul says, For by The grace given to me by what I got from God, I say to you, listen, this is Paul who has a ministry that is defined by what's been given to him. You and I don't get to be Paul and he's not somebody else. He highlights that by the grace given. I was assigned something and I'm the apostle Paul because I was assigned something. I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. But think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned to us. It's not self-made. This is God appointed. 1 Corinthians 7, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. That means our lives are not just open to anything. God has assigned and called us. And we're to use our gifts and grace. So this this language forms the expectations of our lives. I wrote in your outline, designed and assigned by God. Listen, our humanity has a divine origin that informs our existence, our identity, our potential. We live in a creation where a sovereign God assigns things to us that will have its boundaries, that will have its limits. The world you and I live in doesn't agree with that. I managed to catch a news story that was highlighting a variety of graduation speeches the other day. So it's a little reel of this guy for about 30 seconds and this woman for about 40 seconds and this person for about 20 seconds. And not surprisingly, there was this presentation that sounds so familiar. We've been trained, right? Remember, we're not people who just flashed into consciousness. We got no history. You haven't learned anything. No, we've learned stuff along the way. So the common sound was, graduates, don't let anybody tell you what you can and can't be. You know, if you hear that enough times, how postured are you to agree with 1 Corinthians 7? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned. Because you've been told your whole life, don't let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do. And then you're fed the idea that the sky is the limit and beyond. Your only limit is you. I mean, these are the speeches and I appreciate the try to be encouraging part of it. You know, when you're a kid, you learn uh, Disney movies with the common plot. That I think there's only one plot to Disney movies, isn't there? So at some point, everybody's going to be a princess. You know, I mean, you just, and all your dreams are going to come true. And you just get fed that over and over and over again. How many know most people when they, when they engulf that, they don't start with, so God, creator. What dreams did you have in mind for me? How many of you know they don't start there? They look inside and they say, What am I good at? What makes me a person? What do people applaud about me? What dreams can I have that I have come up with? And then we get through life, and guess what? Our dreams aren't coming true. And we're mad at God. Like God messes this whole thing up because He's not coming alongside my dreams. And what's the deal? You're gonna hear, you're gonna see this. Whoever wins the NBA finals. You're going to see it. Who taught 50%, I'm going to be kind, 50% of all athletes to do their post-game speech with a chip on their shoulder? You know, everybody said we couldn't do it. Why does that have to be the first thing you're going to cover with us? You know, from the beginning, they said, there's no way you got, you're not going to do it. Uh, Who taught you that that's the answer to what you just achieved? Somebody taught you that. Because you live in a world that's teaching you you're a victim of everybody else interacting with you the wrong way. There's no way you can ever become all that you could possibly be because there's too many things against you. Okay, this is the stuff we breathe in. And then we encounter a God who has designed a life for us. And guess what? That God does create limits for us. We have to be self-informed. Otherwise, we create a pace for ourselves we cannot manage. Kelly Caput has written a book recently called You're Only Human, uh, which, by the way, a couple of books we've recommended this summer, Reset and Refresh, extremely practical, will quickly get you in touch with the humanity of what makes this topic pop. And so that's where we've wanted you to live. If you're wanting a little bit more theological study, those books are not intending to be theological studies. They're intended to be practical, discover your own humanity and bring God's word to bear on it. If you would like some more theology in this category, Kelly's book is excellent. You're only human. He says this, finitude is an unavoidable aspect of our creaturely existence. We run into it constantly and in different ways. If we're paying attention, we can see it. It doesn't take a car accident or an unexpected hospital visit for us to discover our limits and dependency. But are we listening? Far too often our lives testify to the fact that we believe we really can and should do everything. He goes on a little further and says, Sometimes lurking under our desires to expand our abilities to see unspoken temptation If only I were the infinite creator, not a finite creature. Indeed, this impulse to reject our creaturely limits is as old as sin itself. Genesis shows us that God made all that is not God, and everything he made was good. But we quickly meet a serpent. The serpent introduces distrust into the divine human relationship. With these indirect tactics, the serpent encourages his hearers to imagine they can and should know more. They should be more. He implies that divinely given limits are a fault to be overcome rather than a beneficial gift to be honored. How many guys can put this thing in rewind and say, oh, if you just had depended upon God rather than that tree, what a different world we would live in, right? The man and woman disdained their creaturely limits as faults instead of gifts, barriers that kept them from obtaining divine qualities. How many of you guys have an image of God? God. The second God states anything as a principle, as a rule, as a law, anything firm and unmoving, that we gaze upon that and we think exactly what he just said, that's a barrier keeping me from obtaining something really, really good. Whenever God seems to show up in our life and he sounds like he's saying no, Why is he a killjoy to us? Why is he just robbing us of all the joy that we really could have, all the fulfillment? God's just this. Or maybe God is keeping us from something else. Maybe God is keeping us from a life that would turn on us and eat us up from the inside out because we're creatures and he knows our boundaries. And he knows no to that is the very best thing for you. And I'm sorry, but you don't get it right now. You will one day. Maybe just when you mature in your humanity, you'll get it. Maybe when you're in heaven, you'll get it. But for God to speak and say no to us, can we stop acting like God is, there's something wrong with the God-man equation when that happens. God said no to man from the beginning. Do not, Adam and Eve, do not, do not, that right there. Boundary, live within it. It'll be good. I'm keeping you from something. And we have seen what God was keeping us from. I don't think there's a bigger object lesson in the universe than the fall. It was outside of God's boundaries, right? We are creatures, so we are, we are designed to need. Let me get really practical here. God created us with a physical dimension of our lives. We have bodies. Those bodies have chemistry in them, they have needs in them. You and I have to factor that into the way in which we live. Uh, we're, at some point, our body's going to send us a signal in a few minutes that it's, uh, I'm hungry. So hope keeps wrapping up soon. And I'm thinking about, you know, Chick fil A's not open today. Who is? Um, our bodies need something. Our bodies need rest and sleep. Our, our bodies need to change pace. Our bodies need a variety of inputs. We, we need food and water, right? And then we also have this immaterial portion of us. We're not just physical beings, but we're, we're soulish and spiritual beings on the inside of us. So that means we have some limits in our emotions and some boundaries and we have some needs in our emotions, in our thoughts, in our mental engagement. So you and I are not infinite in these categories. We cannot be infinitely emotionally spent. So if you're Walking through life, and and sometimes you just kind of got no control over some of these things, and we have to run to God to find grace. But you've had one event after another that has pulled on your emotions. How many guys can just recognize not every event pulls on your emotions the same way? Right? When Tracy Porter ran back the interception for the touchdown for the Saints, that pulled on my emotions differently than some other events in my life. Right? I was always hopeful. Eternity had arrived. I mean, it just was an enthusiastic moment in my soul. And other moments don't feel that way. All right, can you recognize? And by the way, can we recognize this about each other? Can, can you walk with people who have, who have been through uh, four emotional car wrecks in a row in their life? And you don't turn around and serve them up a Bible verse. It just fixes it all. Can I just tell you? It doesn't fix it all. We are emotional beings that sometimes get overwhelmed in our lives. We are thoughtful beings. Thoughts busy us. They take energy to manage. Thoughts can go in the wrong direction. Uh, you can imagine losing your job and living under a bridge in about 30 seconds. Right? That Your mind can just... But you know what? Your feelings are attached to those thoughts. And so the more you think in that direction, then your feelings feel... Trapped, despairing, anxious, right? All that stuff weighs stuff. And so when you serve that up daily in your life, you need to pay attention. The pace of your life can be that all the time. And it's detrimental. But you know the biggest thing that man needs? It's in the garden. God formed man out of the dust of the earth. So you have this being called Adam and then God breathes his life into man. And man becomes alive. But then he loses God's life shortly later. And man's called dead, but in a different way. He's alive physically, but he's, he's not alive spiritually anymore. He's cut off from the life of God. So when you and I go to do life... Critical ingredient, God forms you, you get born, born, your parents name you, you got a little career going on, you do some stuff in elementary school, et cetera, et cetera. You get good at something, et cetera. There is this dimension inside of you. You know what it's longing for? That's what it's longing for. The breath of God, the nearness and the presence of God dwelling deep within me, animating who I am, enabling me. To be holy as he is holy. That's what's in my soul. That's what I'm longing for. Now listen, pace interrupts these things. Pace ignores these limitations and creates a world that just wears us out. So pace, I'm going to say, is a self-understanding problem. Kelly Capix says, "I, I think we have a massive problem. But it's not a time management issue. Right? I've read plenty of books trying to fix this problem through managing our time better. It is a theological and pastoral problem. Right? Those verse that, we, that we've looked at is the Apostle Paul recognizing something was given to him that made the ministry that he had come to life. And then he told everybody else, hey, be careful. When you go to think about yourself, God has assigned some things to you as well. Pull that into your life. Be aware that you have got something from God to do the life that you have. And then he said the same thing, similar to the Corinthians, live the life that God has assigned to you. So in your outline, I wrote this out this way. An overpaced life is a theologically uninformed life. The result of thinking more highly of ourselves It ignores that a sovereign God has determined and ordained and assigned our existence. Listen, two categories, both as human beings and as the particular human beings that we are. So there's things about being human that create boundaries for us. You and I can't travel through time. We can't move through walls. Uh, As a man, I can't have a child I uh, give birth to children, right there are boundaries and borders and limitations that God has created for human beings, but then that translates into keith 's particular little circle as well. There are boundaries and borders and limitations that God has chosen uniquely to assign to me the grace given to me and, and this gets tormented. By Instagram, where I open the shutters of my life and stare out at, can we, can we stare out this way? I mean, this might be hard to see sometimes, but it should be true. The grace given to others, the grace God assigned to others, not to me. I have my own assignment. You have yours. It's playing out a certain way in your life that's different than mine. Mine's playing out a certain way in my life that's different than yours. Where did this come from? Well, it's an assignment from God. This is so helpful in the envy category, in the lust category, in the the desires category. I, I, I need to settle that from the beginning there was a God who made things intentionally and he assigned things and he was specific about me, and he was specific about you. Listen, there, there's something I complain about a lot. I push back on the Creator. You know, I don't think I would have liked taking care of horses and being pulled along in a horse and buggy and you know, dealing with flies and no air conditioning. There's a lot I would not have liked, but the simplicity of life of about 150, 200 years ago is very attractive. This life is so complicated, and there's so much in it, and so much noise, so I often am pushing, God, what's going on here, <laughs> What were you thinking, sticking me in this moment? Couldn't I have just, like, live simpler? Somewhere in a castle, maybe, I don't know, when there's no electricity, I guess I'd have gotten used to it, and sweat at night, I don't know. But this is nuts, man, this world is nuts. All right, part of me is, is pushing back on the assignment. And, and I have to recognize I'm here by assignment. This life has been assigned to me. Now, two things I said here, and I'll just point these two things out, and then we'll, we'll pray together. One, we're not infinite God. We're finite creatures. That has to inform our pace. When you and I seek to live at an infinite level, it installs an inner madness in our souls. Thomas Merton, this is 1965. These are guys who write stuff in 1965. And we live 2022. And we want to say, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. But this is what he said. He says, the rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy Of our activism neutralizes our work for peace, it destroys our own inner capacity for peace. But I got to tell you, when my peace goes away, the world has trained me well. I'm trying to figure out which one of you to blame. And I usually start with people in the front row. My lack of peace is being caused by something someone else is doing out there. Isn't that what you were taught to do? And yet it might be that I have created a world that goes to war on the inside of me every day. Because I think I'm a little bit more like God than I really am. I'm a creature. One of these days I'm not going to graduate into Godness I'm going to be a creature with boundaries and limitations. Secondly, we're not someone else. We are fearfully and wonderfully made as individuals by God with our own set of assigned strengths, weaknesses, boundaries, and limitations. I need to let that define me. I need to be okay with those definitions. I need to see them as God's intentional creative act of making me the person that he's called me to be. And and in a world that is casting off boundaries, listen, when you see boundaries being kicked out of people's lives, right? That feels like that's, that's just the mood of our day. That's just the protest thing. That's just, hey, don't tell me. How I many of you guys are protesting speed limits, by the way? I'm just curious. I mean, I've lived my whole life protesting speed limits. I mean, I'm like, do not put that on me. I got places to be. How dare you tell me how fast I can drive? But, you know, I try to keep it reasonable, you know, within reason of that. But the human, there's something about the fallen human heart that responds by pushing boundaries off of us. And this is exactly what was sold to Adam and Eve in the garden. This should not surprise us. This was the DNA of temptation. God put boundaries on you, didn't he? Well, you know, if you'll do this, you can push those boundaries out. You can kick those limits out of your life. You can become something else than what God made you to be. And man bought it, and we've been living in the fallout of it ever since. All right, can I can I pull all of us into a humble room together, especially those of us who are Bible-believing Christians? Uh, What is it about us that we can stare out at the world? And there's a couple of topics out there that are floating up in the world, really big right now. Gender issues, LGBTQ issues. We can stare out at the world and we can quickly recognize those people have kicked the boundaries out of their lives. And by the way, right there, there are boundaries. Biblically, when the Bible uses the word sexual immorality... All that's saying is there was an intention for sex and sexuality. Everything, using that everything in a different way is immoral. It's outside of God's purpose. So there's all kinds of sexual immorality today. All kinds of it. It's not just the recent stuff. There's all kinds of it. And we can look and we can see that pretty quickly. Right? Okay. That's true. We can look out and see in the world there's all kinds of selfishness in people's lives that makes them uh, neglect their responsibilities, not take care of their families. And there's criminality out there when somebody decides, hey, I want what I want even if it takes your life for me to have it. Right? We look out and we see these are people without boundaries. They've kicked God's boundaries out of their lives. All right, you and I are Jesus followers. We we have something that the world doesn't have. Oh, sure, they've got a book, but you and I have a revelation of this book. We have the Holy Spirit that illumines this book. You know, apart from the Spirit, you know, this is sort of the New York Times for people. It's just words on a page. They come to life when the Holy Spirit, by His grace, illumines us, and we see it. And it's like, ah, I get that. So we're the people who are seeing this stuff. And yet, we too, let's be humble, kick God's boundaries out of our lives. Right, so it takes a certain pace. Right? I don't know what your pace is supposed to be. You're an individual. You could probably run faster than me in a lot of ways. Right? So, it, takes a, it takes a certain pace for you to design your life so that there is room in it for communing with God. That's the biggest priority of why we exist. So, question... Does your life have room in it for communing with God? Is there there significant prayer exchange between me and the Lord? Do I dwell in God's word in a way that allows him to reveal himself to me so that I can take joy and delight and worship and affection towards God? Is that happening? Because to do that, I would have to change the pace of my life. I would have to do less of that In order to do more of this. Because see, I'm not an infinite creature. I can't keep adding more and adding more and adding more. And thinking I'm still going to have room for some of these other things. And this has become the crisis of the body of Christ. You know, God installs boundaries. You know, God comes along and says, hey, I'm going to provide this much for you. And then I'm going to take this much away. And you're going to live with that. You know, God does that intentionally throughout scripture. You ever heard of the Sabbath day? Here, I'm going to give you seven days. Minus one. And now I'm doing this for a good reason, right? The Sabbath was given for man, wasn't it? It's a day of rest. It's a day for man to recognize I have limitations. I have to create a world that can exist within six days. How many of you guys would like eight days right now? Or just make them longer. Give me you know, a little more time each day, something. I want a bigger life. And God says, no, and give you a bigger life. I gave you 24 hours. I gave you seven days. And then I took one of them back. Oh, and by the way, all that money you got in your pocket... I gave you that too, and then I took 10% of it back. Oh, did you know God took 10% of it back? Did you know he put boundaries in your economics and he made your life smaller? Oh, that's see, that's the problem, Keith. We got a lot going on right now. I haven't been able to tithe because of this and because of that and because of this. Because of what? Because of pace. I just have too much to pay for in my life. I can't afford... To tithe. So, so where did that boundary go? Wow, well, I just kind of booted it out of my life. Oh. Oh, okay. So when somebody in the world who hasn't read the Bible or really knows what it says, when, when they boot a boundary out of their life, how do you respond to them? Get up in their face? Get all wigged out, get all freaked out and aggressive and all over them, like, oh, How dare you treat God that way? All right, let me see your checkbook. Come show it to me. Let me see how you're treating God. You who have read your Bible, who have gotten around the presence of God, who see the worth of God at a level nobody else out there sees. And yet I've booted God's boundaries and booted God's boundaries because I want a life that's bigger and bigger and bigger. So I increase the time demands of my life and I got no time for God. I can't join the church. I can only attend, for goodness sake, twice a month, maybe. Sundays, I don't know what y'all do during the week around here. I don't have time for that. Why is that? Because my time boundaries are huge. I don't give because my financial boundaries are huge. This is humbling, isn't it? This is a moment of self-understanding that we have bought into the same idea that the devil came along and sold Adam and Eve. Hey. You can have more. Just do this. Just add this to your life. Just have a little bit more of that. Um, An infinite God created finite creatures. More comes with a price tag. And it might be the price tag you're so quickly able to get in touch with this morning is inner turmoil. It's turning you upside down and inside out. Because it's just too much. Well, here's the good news for us. And Keith, you can send somebody back. We're just going to pray. So if you just want to send Seth or... um, I wish there was one button that could just get pressed that would just fix all this and cure it all. I know this, and I think if I sat down with small group leaders that are in the room and other pastors that are here... I think they would all concur, because I've had these conversations with guys, that the last few years, we are interacting with more unhappy Christians than we used to. I'll say it that way. It just seems that there's a, there's a plague of unhappiness and discouragement and disappointment. Just stop for a second and survey that word in your life. How much disappointment have you had to manage in your life? I'm sure that's multifaceted. I'm not trying to say this. This one message fixes all of that. But there is this one thing traveling with us into every setting of our lives. It is that almost each and every one of us are living lives that are too big. Just... Be realistic. You know those little friend group that you had back in high school? And now you're 60 years old and you're trying to keep up with them on Facebook. I don't want to be mean to it, but move on. There are other people in your life now. God did not give you infinite abilities to relate to everyone. You cannot retain everybody's story, everybody's events. I can't keep up on everything. God's got to leave me to figure out for the assignment he has given me, what do I need to keep up with? And what do I need to stop paying attention to? I'm, I'm a limited creature. I can't do infinite and not be happy and not feel refreshed. So I, I get that. And I get this. We when we talk about planning stuff, you have no idea how many how many hours are spent when we talk about planning things and standing things up, bumping into whether or not this is something the church will make room for. Right? That's quite often what we interact with and what we're concerned about and for most of us it's not because we're doing terrible stuff it's because we just we just got too much good stuff going on decent things without an awareness that I, I, I need to be a little bit smaller All right, so just maybe just get quiet for a moment close your eyes and just, just be sensitive to the Lord right now just about what life has been feeling like for you how many of you are feeling exhausted how many are feeling just weary maybe you've used the word overwhelmed I just feel overwhelmed I can't keep up Crazy busy. Does so life feel frustrating? Bump into a lot of frustration. Frustration usually leads to anger. Are you just noticing? I'm just, just more angry lately. Irritable, impatient. Jesus looked out at crowds, crowds that were living their own version of their own unbounded lives with all the inner noise that produces anything. He called out to them in his grace and he said, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Here, I want you to do something. And I want you to do something physical because you're a physical being as well as a spiritual being. And I want you to have a little extra reason to think about what you're doing. I consider the issue of pace to be a giant. Giant in my own life. Will not go down easily. Will never be addressed casually. But Jesus' first invitation in this exchange of learning something that would fix a lot of how we think. It didn't start with learning. It started with an invitation come to me. Come to me. Same way the Psalms said, be still and know. Be still first then know. Come to me first and then learn of me. Come to me. Come to me means leave where you are and come to where I am. That's what that means. Jesus gets close enough to wherever you are. This is how God comes to us. But then he turns and says, come to me which means you're gonna have to be willing to walk away from where you are. And that's the problem, isn't it? I'm busy and I don't know what to give up. There are things in my life I don't wanna get rid of. And Jesus still says, come to me. So if you're here this morning, I wanna pray for you in a particular way, but if you're here this morning and you're living in a space that is overwhelming, exhausted, off balance, step away from irritation, just rough on the inside. And you're willing for that to change. You're willing to say, Jesus, wherever you are, I'll I'll come to you from where I am. I I am willing to walk away from some things. I want to pray for you, so I'm going to ask you to stand up if that's you this morning. Pray for folks that are standing this morning. Just join with me in praying for them. Join with me in considering whether the Lord looks at this hour in the body of Christ and sees a church worn out, tired, fatigued, needing to be refreshed, needing a wind of grace to blow in the spaces of life. Maybe it takes a miracle from God to change some of these spaces for us, but can we we start asking God for a miracle? Show up in these spaces for creatures to live in a way that depends upon God as he's designed us to depend upon him and have space for that. Father, I pray for us, Lord. I pray for everyone who is standing here this morning. Lord, I I join them in standing. I'm just standing because I'm preaching, but I'm standing because life feels big, hard to interact with, exhausting, That kind of life, Lord, thrusts us into a struggle with perspective, emotional weight and thoughts that sit on us and lay hold of our lives, Lord, perhaps in many settings robbing joy from us and stealing your mercy that's in those settings, Lord, There's mercy and grace from you in our marriages, in our homes, in our church, in our work. So Father, we're asking for you to do, Lord, what is beyond us. Lord, life is beyond us. Lord, we weren't ever supposed to eat from the tree and go do it ourselves. Lord, we were supposed to depend upon you. We're creatures who need their creator. Lord, so you are never more honored than when we say, Lord, we can't, but you can. Apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. But by your grace, Lord, miracles are possible. Change occurs power flows into our lives so father our appeal to you this morning is lord would you do in us and among us and through us what what you can do and who you are to us to show up in the spaces of our lives lord to breathe afresh upon us lord and and give us a heart that's willing to come from where we are what i'm sure like most people here this morning I, I sometimes i don't even know what to put down because they're all decent things Many of them are good things. So Lord, would you lead us in the days ahead? Would you lead us this summer, God, as we seek to be reset and find refreshment in your presence? God, would you give us wisdom that we need to adjust our lives in categories? Lord, maybe there's some good things in some of our lives here this morning, but the season for those good things has come and gone. It's time to put that away. It's time for something else to take up that space. Lord, we need you. Lord, there's some folks here, and I pray for them, Lord, some folks here physically in their bodies. They are experiencing the stress and strain of the pace of life. Gotta pray. God, would you meet us in this moment? Lord, it could be that our bodies are sending us a signal that we need to change something. So Lord, I'm not asking you to enable us to ignore the signal. But God, would you give us grace to understand the signal? To understand something's going on in us physically because life is just too big, too wieldy. to you give us wisdom on what to change and how to change it? So Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your nearness and your presence. Thank you for our designed dependence upon you. Lord, our, de- our dependence doesn't mean we ignore you and you'll get it done. So God, we look to you intentionally this morning. Give grace to us according to the grace given to us. Lord, let these things be that we might live the life that you have assigned to us for your glory, for our good in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Bless you guys who are watching. Love you. See you next week. See you Thursday night too.